0: Thank you, Steve. Thank you, worship team, for leading us in a, just a beautiful time of worship. We really appreciate uh, your ministry, guys and gals, for sure. Well, uh, just before I jump into my sermon this morning, uh, I want to start by reading a special letter that I drafted in conjunction with the elders. And uh, we have two out of four of our elders here, and uh, they're here just uh, just uh, as a symbol of support for what I'm what I'm going to read right now. And you will receive this uh, letter. You should receive this letter in your inbox after the service is complete, and it just kind of, it's highlighting just kind of what we've been going through as a church for the past little while, so I'm just going to go ahead and just jump into it, and just go ahead and, and read it. Um, hello, Grace Church. I'm just going to go ahead and read it and try not to get off my notes here too much. I, Pastor Ryan, am writing a special letter of communication on behalf of all the elders. I want to start by acknowledging that the past year was a very challenging and discouraging time for Grace Church. Aside from COVID, we've had a lot of turnover among our staff and key ministry leaders. We've lost some of our people, and our pastor, speaking of myself, me, experienced burnout. It doesn't take long in an environment like this for people to get confused, suspicious, frustrated, and distrusting of leadership. For what it's worth, without going into detail, I felt that I received a word from the Lord at the end of 2019 that warned us that the Lord was going to stretch me as a pastor and us as a church. Although I didn't know the details at the time, it was a word that helped carry me this past year. So I want you to be encouraged to know that 2020 did not catch God by surprise at all. I want to let you know that the new elder board has hit the ground running. Transitional meetings with the previous board are complete. We want to express our deep appreciation to the previous board for all their hard work and sacrifice over the years. We love you. The new elder board has already had multiple lengthy meetings. We've been, trans- we've been very transparent and laser-focused on addressing our struggles, working through our issues, and charting a new future for Grace Church. There is more work to be done, but I've been sincerely encouraged by these meetings, and we are looking forward to sharing more details with the congregation soon. We will continue to meet at a determined pace until we iron out a plan. At the same time, you should know that we have had some reconciliation meetings, where people have, have, where people have been able to get together and apologize and clarify misunderstandings. This is good. And on that note, I want to apologize for anything I've said or didn't say or did or didn't do that caused anyone hurt this past year. In addition, the elders wanted to express that they want to serve in such a way that is pure, open, and blameless before God and the congregation. We want to extend an invitation to be approachable and available to you. We have confidence that God is still working among us and that yeah and, and that he has great, a great plan and future for Grace Church. Let's continue to trust him and follow his leading. Uh, I have some requests I'd like to ask of you. I'd like to boldly ask that you would consciously choose to trust in the leadership of Grace Church. This is crucial. If there is no trust, the best of plans won't work. On a different note, resist the urge to point the finger at any individual or group of people for some of the challenges, challenges that we have been experiencing. It's not true, nor is it a fruitful exercise. Let's choose to steer clear of gossiping and rumors and stay focused on building each other up. Let's be quick to forgive, making allowance for each other's faults. Let's pursue a ministry of encouragement. Let's, let's choose to mark 2021 as a fresh start for Grace Church and for God's glory. We exhort you to pray for your leadership as you move forward, seeking God's guidance and direction. On behalf of the elders, Pastor Ryan, and then we have Gary Voss acting as chair, uh, Greg Wilden, who's probably watching right now, as, acting as vice chair, uh, Tony Richardson as secretary, and Joel Schultz, who's not with us uh, today, but probably watching online as well. So I'm going to invite Gary to just uh, pray for us today.
1: Good morning, Grace Church. <coughs> Is this working?
0: It should be working, yeah.
1: Um, I was asked to pray for you this morning and pray for the church and pray for the leadership Uh, So, uh, let's bow our heads in prayer. Abba, Father, we ask for your mercy and your grace, Lord. The direction that you're taking us as a leadership, Father, is exciting. But without you, Lord, we can make all the plans. Father, we ask that you direct our steps, that they lead to the cross, and that each individual here and everyone out there at home would realize the sacrifices that you have made for each individual here and the price that you've paid price such as loneliness price such as hurt lack of patience father your son has made it possible that all of these can be healed Lord and I ask that your spirit of healing would come amongst us Mm -hmm. that we would look at one another lovingly loving each other to love others help us Lord and have mercy on us Mm -hmm. says in your word where there's one or more praying that you are there also and Lord we want to acknowledge your presence here and in every home Father, lift the burden that is on us with this COVID situation, Lord. Allow us, Lord, to do what is right in your sight and in the authority's sight. Mm -hmm. Father, your son was an example of listening to authority. One that I don't understand, but one that I will acknowledge. Help us each, Father, to do what you tell us to do. May we have ears to listen. May we have a heart to serve. And Father, be with Pastor Ryan as he gives his message. Lord, it is the cross that we seek that we can see you, Lord, for the second time on earth. Would be such a gift before we pass, if that's possible. It seems so close, but be with Ryan. Guard his heart. May all the words that come from his lips be from you. In Jesus' name, amen.
0: Amen. Thanks, Gary. Thanks, Tony. You can put it back over there. Yeah. Thanks, guys. Well, I'm going to start my message by sharing a story that I hope will appeal to the kids. If there's any kids watching, I hope you're watching, kiddos. Uh, And so I'm going to start by saying this. There once was a kernel. If you don't know what a kernel is, a kernel is kind of like a seed. A colonel named Kenny, Kenny the Colonel, and Kenny the Colonel, he had a he had a good life, or so he thought. He was he had this uh, he was a little tiny seed, little tiny colonel, and he had this big, huge, giant field to himself—a giant field of dirt. And uh, he had so much elbow room, and every day he would, woke, he would wake up and he'd say, oh my gosh, I'm, I'm so important and I'm so special. And uh, I got this whole big, giant field to myself. There's no one to bug me. There's no one to tell me what to do. Nobody's on my back telling me to clean up my toys or clean up my room. Or no one's telling me to stop playing Nintendo Switch. Uh, I, I can do whatever I want. And, and no one's around to tell me what to do. I'm so great, I'm so important, I'm so special, and this field is all for me. I just get to lie here and do nothing all day long. It's great. And, uh, and one day, there was a leprechaun that came by, and this wasn't any normal leprechaun. It was Leroy the Leprechaun. And Leroy came to Kenny and said, hey, Kenny, how are you today? Top of the morning to ya." And Kenny said, hello, Leroy, how are you doing? And, Good, he said. And uh, anyways, they exchanged uh, greetings, and Leroy asked him how he was doing, and Kenny said the same thing that he would say every day, every week, every month, I'm so special, I'm so important, I have this great big giant field I get to have to myself, and it's so awesome because no one tells me to clean up my toys or clean up my room, and I can eat whatever I want, no one's telling me to eat vegetables, and I get to play as much Nintendo as I want all day long. It's great, it's wonderful. But Leroy sensed it wasn't that great, and so Leroy dug in a little further, are, are you sure you're okay, Kenny. Are you sure? You, you're enjoying your life right now. And Kenny said, well, actually, to be honest with you, it's kind of lonely. I have no family around. I have no friends. I have no one to share my toys with. I have no one to share my life with. Actually, Leroy, I'm not really enjoying my life. What do I do? And Leroy said, well, you know what? Uh, I once had a pot of gold that I would pet every single day. It was a, it was a pot of gold at the end of the rainbow, and I did everything in my life to protect my pot of gold from the people around me. And then God helped me realize that when I started to share the resources that God gave me, that's when I actually experienced life and I actually enjoyed life. So Kenny, what you need to do is you need to go to God and ask him what to do for your life. I need to listen to him. And later I said, off, I got to go. See you later, Kenny. Kenny said, Bye. So that, that very night, he took Leroy's advice, and he went to the Lord and said, Lord, what do I do? I have this big, giant, beautiful field, and it, it feels nice. I have it all to myself, but I don't, I'm not really enjoying life. And God told Kenny, he says, Kenny, I need you to do something very unique and unusual. And Kenny said, what's that? Anything, Lord. And God said, Kenny, you need to die. What? I need to die? He said, trust me. Trust me, Kenny. So Kenny said, yes, I trust you. So that very night, he died. But you know what? Uh, he didn't stay dead. God transformed him into something else. You see, his seed turned in; it sprouted into a plant, and that plant sprouted into a stalk of wheat and uh, and kenny was just so impressed that god had used his his death his sacrifice as something that would transform him and and kenny grew into a stock of wheat and and this wheat produced more seeds and the wind came and blew his his wheat and the seeds around and the seed fell into the field and before he knew it over time those those seeds then began to sprout and there was a big giant field of of wheat because of all the seeds that came from kenny's stock and Kenny was so excited because now he had family, now he had friends, now he had someone to share his toys with, and now he wasn't lonely because Kenny was obedient to the Lord. Uh, Kenny now found uh, life and purpose uh, because, of, because of simply being obedient to the Lord and being willing to sacrifice his life for others. Well, I want you to keep that story in the back of your mind as we continue through uh, the book of John as we enter into this passage today. So we're continuing today in the book of John. I just want to give you a brief summary as to where we left off just to set up this passage today. Uh, The book of John, first of all, was written by a disciple of Jesus, someone who was an eyewitness to everything that Jesus said and did. And the purpose of John writing his gospel was so that people would come to faith in Jesus as the Messiah, the Son of God, the Savior of the world. In recent passages, we saw that um, Jesus, he claimed to be God. He claimed to be the good shepherd. He claimed to be the, the gate that gives us access to God. He also gave sight to a, a man who had been born blind. And, and one of the more, more recent miracles in the book of John that we covered was the fact that Jesus raised his buddy from the grave, his buddy Lazarus, who had been dead for four days. And that was such an incredible, miraculous thing that Jesus did in public. That word was spreading like crazy, crazy. And all the Jewish people were getting excited that there was a man in town who had the ability to raise people from the dead. And you would have thought this would have been met with excitement amongst the Jews, amongst all the Jews, but it wasn't. You see, some of the religious leaders of the day, they were getting stressed out because the Jews were under the authority of Rome. And whenever Rome heard of someone, uh, a Messiah-type person who was or, or some kind of a savior or re- rebellious person who was leading the charge to overtake the Romans, they would come in and they would squash it hard. and uh, they, they might kill people. They might uh, remove uh, people who are in certain levels of authority and replace them with someone else. And, and the Jewish leaders, they didn't want that. So they decided that they were going to kill Jesus. or Their, their intention was to kill Jesus for the sake of keeping the peace uh, in, their, in, in their nation. And so they announced that if anyone, had saw, if anyone were to see Jesus, that they need to tell them so that the authorities could arrest them, and their intention, of course, was to kill them. Last week's passage, we saw that Jesus came back in the town. He was at a dinner party, and he was hanging out with Lazarus, the man he had raised from the dead. And Mary came in, she poured expensive perfume over his feet, and she washed his feet with her hair as a beautiful display of love and devotion and humility before the Lord. And we were challenged to follow Mary's example, and she used the resources that she had to honor the Lord. And so that's where we pick up now. We pick up uh, verse 12 of John chapter 12, and we're going to read the verse 26, and I'm primarily wanting to focus today in the last few verses that, uh, in this passage that we're reading today. So let me just pick up in verse 12 of John chapter 12. Where it says this, The next day the great crowd that had come for the festival heard that Jesus was on his way to Jerusalem. They took palm branches and went out to meet him, shouting, Hosanna, which means, which is a way to say, Lord, save us. Uh, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. They're they're quoting Psalm 118 in, in, in the Old Testament. Blessed is the king of Israel. And so this is what's going on. The Israelites have just got word that Jesus had just raised Lazarus from the dead, who had been dead for four days. They heard all the great things that he did and all the great things that he said, and they're thinking, this must be the guy. This must be the Messiah that's, that's finally going to help us overtake uh, this, this Roman superpower that's over us. We need to crown him as king. God has, has given us this gift of this Messiah. He needs to be crowned king so that we can, we can get these monkeys off our back, the Romans. And they had a different idea of what a Messiah should be. Anyways, they were getting excited. Uh, then Jesus found a young donkey and sat on it, as it is written, uh, "Do not be afraid, daughter Zion. See, your king is coming, seated on a donkey's colt." And John, right here, he's actually um, he's uh, referencing a verse in in one of the small prophets in the Old Testament, in Zechariah nine nine. And uh, let me just go ahead and read the next verse. At first, his disciples did not understand all this. Only after Jesus was glorified did they realize that these things had been written about him and that these things had been done to him. So again, John is uh, highlighting that Jesus is fulfilling a messianic uh, prophecy that the Messiah, the true Messiah, would come riding in on a donkey's colt, which is what was happening here in this passage. Now the crowd that was with him when he called Lazarus from the tomb and raised him from the dead continued to spread the word, of course, if Jesus could raise someone from the dead and people had seen that and witnessed that and saw Jesus and saw Lazarus sitting beside him, of course they're going to spread that word. People are going crazy. Many people, because they had heard that he had performed signs, went out to meet him. So the Pharisees said to one another, See, this is getting us nowhere. Look how the whole world has gone after him. And Jesus is, was becoming so popular that not only the Jews were interested in seeing him, but the Greeks were as well, uh, the Gentiles. Now, there were some Greeks, verse 20, among those who went up to worship at the festival. They came to Philip, who was from Bethsaida in Galilee, with a request. Sir, they said, we would like to see Jesus. Philip went to tell Andrew, and uh, Andrew and Philip, in turn, told Jesus. And then I want to focus in on the last few verses here. Jesus, he, he, he speaks, and he says something very unusual at least if you're expecting Jesus to to be a Messiah in the sense that he was going to lead the Jewish people to overthrow the Roman uh, authorities that were over them. Jesus replied this, he he said this, he said, "'The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified.'" He says, "'Very truly I tell you, "'unless a kernel of wheat falls to the ground and dies, "'it remains only a single seed. "'But if it dies, it produces many seeds.'" So, G- Jesus, the, the Messiah, the one that the Jews want to crown king, is talking about how he's going to die. He's going to give his life for us. And he's also setting an example for us to follow, that we're to do the same. And then the next two verses says this, and this is where I want to spend most of our time. He says, anyone who loves their life will lose it. Interesting. And then he says, well, anyone who hates their life, he uses that word hate. That's very interesting. Well, anyone who hates their life in this world will keep it for eternal life. Whoever serves me must follow me. And where I am, my servant also will be. My Father will honor the one who serves me. And so that's where that—that's the main text we're working with today. And so we're at the point in John where it, it kind of feels like, you know, we, we reviewed it, the, all the amazing claims that Jesus made about himself. We reviewed some of his most prominent miracles. We see the reaction of the, of the whole world is coming to put their faith in him, and, and now it feels like John is, is, is challenging us for a response. Are you going to follow him or not? And he's kind of giving us a heads up of what that means. The one word that really catches my attention in this passage is that Jesus says we have to hate our life, that that sounds like extreme. Apparently, that word is used approximately 40 times in the New Testament, and I just briefly reviewed all those passages uh, this past week. And uh, it primarily does mean hate. Uh, it, could also be, it could also mean despise, disregard, to be indifferent to, uh, detestable. One might say that the, this, this whole concept means to care nothing for your life. Another person might say, we must be so committed to Christ that we hate or despise our life in comparison. And so uh, one of the questions I want to ask ourselves today is, what does it mean to follow Jesus and to hate our life? Or what, what does it mean to follow Jesus? And, you know, in our culture, in our day and age, when we say we're following some, someone, it could mean something, well, it does mean something, I think, very different than what Jesus meant in, in the New Testament here. Uh, when we say we want to follow Jesus, we're not just saying we're interested in what Jesus has to say. When, when, we, when we follow someone in our world, we, we might think of following someone on social media, maybe liking their videos or liking their content, and um, maybe just generally being interested in what they have to say. But when Jesus talks about inviting people to follow him, it's very, very different. It's deeper. It's more meaningful. When Jesus invites him to follow us, it means that we need to be disciples of Jesus that we're allowing him to transform us, um, that we are identified with Christ. He's not just some person that we're interested in, but we, we become one with him. Baptism is a beautiful picture when someone decides to follow Jesus of what it really means to be one with Christ. Baptism symbolizes that when you go under the water that you are uh, you're, you're becoming one with Christ's death and resurrection. And when you come up out of the water, it's a symbol of the fact that you are identified with his resurrected body, that, that we are united with Christ in his death, And in his resurrection, we become one with Christ. And as a person who is in Christ, who is one with Christ, you live a life of of, of obedience to him. You're not just picking and choosing some of the things he says. You're not just interested in what he has to say, but you're living a life of pure, 100% obedience to what he is asking us to do. So I want to spend the, the remainder of our time just unpacking what it really means to follow Christ. As I Sitting, I don't know where I was sitting, but I was sitting somewhere this past week, and um, I was I was thinking, okay, what, what are what are some th- what does Jesus mean when he says to follow, follow him? And I quickly scribbled a whole bunch of ideas or concepts or principles that you should see in the life of of a disciple of Jesus, a follower of Jesus. And I had more, but I pared it down to twelve. Okay, uh, there are more, but there's twelve points or twelve principles. Uh, that I think we should be seen in the life of someone who decides to follow Jesus. And I'm going to try to go through them quickly. So the question is, what did Jesus mean when he said that whoever serves me must follow me? Okay, so number one of 12. Number one, a follower of Christ will keep their eyes fixed on Jesus. Uh, Hebrews 12 says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles, And let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of faith. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. A follower of Jesus is is, is a life that is not defined by your circumstances. Uh, Your circumstances do not define you. You don't stay focused on your circumstances but you keep your eyes on Jesus. In a similar way a follower of Christ uh, uh they don't uh, get distracted by following other influential leaders f- for the life's deepest uh with life's deepest questions and answers but they look to Jesus. They keep their eyes focused on him. Uh, a follower of Jesus doesn't look to their own desires as the greatest answer to um our own desires and our own uh questions and answers so, but uh, or, or a follower of Christ doesn't look to their own sinful desires to fulfill them, to find, well, a life and fulfillment, true fulfillment in life. They, they look to Jesus. They keep their eyes focused on him. They follow his example. And when you're struggling in some way, when you're asking, you ask God for help, and as he gives you wisdom and he gives you direction, you obey him. As a follower of Christ, a follower of Christ, a disciple of Jesus, keeps their eyes focused on Christ. Number two and three I've put together here. A follower of Christ will, first of all, they will follow Christ's example. Number two, that's number two. (laughs) And number three, they will put on Christ's humility. I think they go hand in hand. I want to read to you a couple of passages here. Philippians 2, Paul says in Philippians 2, he says, In your relationship with one another have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. In other words, follow his example, put on his mind. And he he gives us the example. He says, Who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing. By taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. In another passage, Jesus said this, He says, now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. I have set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. So let me just explain what's going on here. Jesus was God. He was the son of God. He was sinless. He lived a perfect life. And he did not have to come to earth to save us, but he did. And when he came to earth, he could have lived a very pompous lifestyle. He could have been born in a palace, but he chose to be born in a stable. And when he was ministering among uh, the people and, and and teaching his disciples, he took the lowest position. Uh, he took the position of a slave. The the, the the task of washing someone's feet in their time and their culture was reserved for the lowest servant. And the king of all kings, the lord of all lords, the one who was perfect, took the position of a slave. And not only that, he he went and he gave his life and died a criminal's death on the cross. He didn't deserve it, but he did that for you and for me. There's, there's no other greater act in all of history, a humble act than the act that Jesus did. And Jesus says, as I have done, you should do the same. And so if Jesus could go from one extreme to the other, how much more should we, who are imperfect, be willing to be humble like like him? And how much more humble should we be than him? The other thing I want to say here as well is that we can't um, choose in our own strength to be humble like Jesus was. We need to put on Jesus' supernatural humility uh, that's, that it doesn't come from ourselves. And so when we put our faith in Him and we become one with Him, we're allowing Jesus to take over our lives and we put on His supernatural humility. Number four: a true follower of Christ, a disciple of Christ, is one who is willing to give up your life for God or for others. Jesus said. To his disciples, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me will find it. And so um, that could mean a bunch of different things. That could mean literally giving up your life for the Lord or for others. And if it means giving up your life for the Lord or for others, it also means that you're willing to live a life of s- sacrifice for putting yourself second. Uh, A follower of Christ no longer lives for themselves as the ultimate goal. Number five, a follower of Christ is filled. They are controlled by the Holy Spirit. Paul said in the book of Ephesians, he says, don't be drunk with wine because that will ruin your life. Instead, be filled with the Holy Spirit. Now, I don't think this passage was primarily Paul trying to give us a lesson on alcohol as much as Paul was using this as an illustration or a contrast to what our lives should really be like. I think what he's trying to say is, you know, in the same way when you drink alcohol and you drink it so much that it impairs you and it overcomes you and it controls your behaviors, he's saying in a similar way uh, where one might be intoxicated with wine and it controls their behaviors, in a similar way one should be intoxicated by the Spirit. Or you, you, you just invite the Holy Spirit to come into your life to transform you, to fill you to the point where, where He speaks through you. His, 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 what you're doing with your hands and your feet are things that the Spirit is doing through you and that he, he is basically controlling your behaviors and your, your speech and your life. And this is this is crucial because all the things I'm talking about today, it, it can't be done in your own strength and your own power. You need to invite the Holy Spirit into your life to give you the strength and the wisdom and the power to do all the things that we're talking about, to be a true follower of the Lord. Number six, A follower of Christ will think eternally. Uh, Paul says in Colossians, he says, Since then you have been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. Now, it's, it's not that a follower of Christ doesn't care about this life, but it's that a follower of Christ doesn't put their hope in the things of this life. Uh, the, a true follower of Christ will be asking, um, will be thinking of ways that, thinking that, really thinking of ways, thinking that everything they do in this life is is really pre- preparation for eternity. They're asking the question, what can I do today, or tomorrow, or next week, or next month that will have the greatest impact for eternity and for God's kingdom? Uh, a follower of Christ will recognize that uh, life is short. This life is short, and that this life is not all that there is. This past weekend on Friday evening, I had the privilege of being on a Zoom call. Um, my my extended family, um, my grandmother was passing away, and I, I got to to be there. I, I kind of felt like I was right beside her, um, right beside her on on the side of her bed while she was taking her last breaths. And it was it was a, I was probably on this Zoom or this uh, video call for a couple hours with 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 my dad, my aunt, uh, my mom, my siblings, and. And we were there as, as my grandmother took her last breath. And it's, it's, on one hand, it was very sad because we think of all the wonderful memories we have of her. On the other hand, it was, it was such a blessing and a privilege to be there because at the moment that she took her last breath, because she, she put her faith in Jesus, I knew that she went into the presence of Jesus. But there was something else that was very special about being there. It really helped me to reflect on how short this life is, how frail our lives are. And... Um, our lives are short in comparison to eternity. Scripture describes our life in one passage, I think it's Psalm 90, Moses describes our life as uh, like, like the morning dew. Uh, like, you know, the, the morning dew will gather on the grass in the morning, and when the sun comes out, uh, the dew just evaporates. James describes our life as a mist or like a vapor, or like a, like a puff of smoke. Uh, our, our lives in this life, you might say, is like a breath of air that just kind of comes and goes. You might say our lives in this life compared to eternity is like a blink of an eye or a snap of the finger. Our life is so, so short. And a follower of Christ realizes that they have all of eternity to look forward to. A follower of Christ longs to be in, in, in heaven with Christ. They, they look to heaven. They think about what would please God um, and, and what they can do in this life to have the greatest impact for eternity. A follower of Christ thinks eternally. Number seven, a follower of Christ, a disciple of Jesus, puts Jesus before money. We talked about this a bit last week. Jesus said, no one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you'll be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. And again, last week we talked about this, and we noted that Judas was someone who used Jesus for personal gain, for his money. He used Jesus to serve his money, while well, Mary was the opposite. She used her money and her resources to honor Jesus. It was the other way around. And a true follower of Christ is one who acts like Mary. Uh, you realize that everything that we have is God's. A follower of Christ realizes that they don't own anything, I mean, I have a house, that's in my name, but I don't really own it, it's God's. I have a car, it's, I have my, my names on it, but I don't own it, it's God's. I, I've had clothes that I've been wearing for years, uh, and um, nobody else wears them, but they're, they're not mine. They're the Lord's, nothing I have is really mine. And when, when, we, when we die and we pass away, we can't take anything with us. A follower of Christ realizes that everything they have should be used for God's purposes, however he wants to use them. Uh, for, whatever he wants to use them for. Number eight, um, a follower of Christ will put Jesus before their plans. James says, uh, now listen, you who say today or tomorrow we will go to this city, or sorry, we will go to this or that city, spend a year there, carry on business, and make money. Why? You do not even know what will happen tomorrow. What is your life? You are a mist. That appears for a little while and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if it's the Lord's will, we will live and do this or that. And so the follower of Christ who's in the world of business, yes, they will make their plans. Yes, they will try to expand their business and grow their business. But they, they do it with a heart that says, you know what, if the Lord's gonna wants to redirect me, I'm good with that in a different if you've got a different plan for my business or my, my, my career, whatever, I, I'm good with whatever the Lord wants to do or what, whatever changes he wants to make. For someone else, you might be in a season of life where you're maybe in a season of leisure and you're thinking about retirement, or maybe thinking about travel, or you're thinking about something else and uh, in, in that category, but in the same mindset, a follower of Christ will say, you know what, I'm going to make my plans, but if the Lord wants to change them, so be it, I'm good with that. Someone else, maybe in a different season of life, maybe you're younger and you're, you're thinking about the future, you're thinking about careers, you're thinking of choices, you're thinking of what kind of a business you might want to get into, whatever, you make your plans, you go ahead and make your plans with, with the wisdom that God gives you. But that, that follower, that disciple, realizes that, you know what, if God wants to abruptly change those plans in any way, I'm game. I'm good for that. So whether we're making small plans or big plans, A follower of Christ will always make plans with an asterisk beside it. And that asterisk asterisk might say, I'm going to do this, Lord willing. I'm going to do this if the Lord wills. I'm going to do this, and if the Lord decides that he wants to change my direction, so be it. I'm good with that. My life is not my own. My plans are not my own. May the Lord's will be done in my life. Number nine. A follower of Christ, I said this, but I'm saying this in a different way now. And number nine, a follower of Christ will stay away from self-centeredness. Jesus replied, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. Notice how the verse doesn't continue and say number three, make sure you love yourself. (laughs) The command is love God, love others. It's outwardly focused. It's outwardly focused, and it doesn't prioritize self. It is not self-seeking. It is not self-centered. And ironically, th- I think God, this is the way that God designed life, that when we think of others and we put God first and we put others first, that has a way of actually refreshing ourselves, and it has a way of blessing ourselves. And, and when we love others, that, that's a way that we're actually ensuring that we're being loved as well. It's just the way that God designed it, where we will be refreshed and blessed when we do what God says here and love God and love others. Number 10. A follower of Christ gives God the credit. Jesus shared a very interesting illustration in Luke 17. He said, someone is, or excuse me, suppose one of you has a servant plowing or looking after the sheep. Will he say to the servant when he comes in from the field, come along now and sit down to eat? Won't he rather say, prepare my supper, get yourself ready and wait on me while I eat and drink? After that, you may eat and drink. Well, he thanked the servant because he did what he was told to do. So you also, when you have done everything you were told to do, should say, we are unworthy servants. We have only done our duty. And so the follower of Christ realizes that whatever good they have done in their life for the Lord, it should be expressed in such a way that God did it through you. Uh, We are only unworthy servants that don't deserve really a whole lot of credit. God deserves the credit. You were just you and I were just servants doing what God wanted us to do. And so maybe there's someone out there, you're going to solve world hunger. There's someone else who maybe will be able to find a um, a home for every orphan in the world. Maybe there's someone else who lives their life as a missionary into some remote uh, place and you literally end up giving your life for someone or a people group in need. Maybe there's someone else who solved the problem of human trafficking, and the list continues, but whoever those people are and whenever. Uh, whenever they're acknowledged, they should simply just say, you know what, I was along for the ride. Uh, I was just in the right place at the right time. God placed me in the right place at the right time. And, uh, and God did this miraculous work through me. I'm just an unworthy servant working for the Lord. And God is good. He deserves all the credit. And so follower of the Lord, number 10, he, he or she gives God the credit for anything good they've done in their, in their life. Number 11 of 12, a follower of Christ will put their confidence in the Lord. Another way to say it is they will place their security in the Lord. The psalmist says in Psalm 20, he says, Some trust in chariots and some in horses, but we trust in the name of the Lord our God. In that time, in the Old Testament biblical times, to have horses and chariots were a very special thing. Um, You know, it's interesting in the Old Testament, oftentimes you'll see that the writers of the Old Testament, when they're talking about two nations going to war against each other, it was sometimes common for the writer to highlight how many horses and chariots there were, because that was a big deal in warfare. If you were a nation that had horses and chariots, that would have been a nice feeling, because you would have felt a sense of security, uh, that you you were going to be on the winning side. And the opposite was also true. If you were were a nation where you didn't have horses or chariots, you would be scared. You would be intimidated by that. But the psalmist says here that we don't trust in chariots and horses. We trust in the name of the Lord our God. What are you trusting in today? What are you placing your confidence and your security in today? Uh, In our world, some people might, in a similar way, trust in very strong militaries with maybe technological advancements. Maybe there's someone else. They're putting their trust in world leaders—strong, charismatic, competent world leaders—that are promising uh, hopeful things. Particularly in our season of life right now, maybe there's some people who are placing their security in a vaccine. If only the vaccine gets here, then we'll be secure. Then we'll be safe. Someone else might be placing their security or confidence in their money, in their investments, and um, whatever they have, whatever monetary um, things they have secured. Still, someone else might place their security in friends or allies. And those can be good things. And sometimes those are good things that God gives us for our help and our benefit. But a follower of Christ realizes that the only person worth putting our security and confidence in is the Lord. A follower of Christ places their total security, their confidence, their hope in Jesus, and Jesus only. Because he's the only one that won't fail or fade, or spoil, or let us down. The fall of Christ puts their confidence and security in the Lord. And lastly for today, there are more, but lastly for today, number 12. A follower of the Lord will boast in the Lord. The prophet Jeremiah says this, This is what the Lord says, Let not the wise boast of their wisdom, or the strong boast of their strength, or the rich boast of their riches. But let the one who boasts about this bo- boast boast about this that they have the understanding to know me that I am the Lord who exercises kindness justice and righteousness on earth for in these I delight declares the Lord A true follower of Christ a disciple of Christ is one who does not boast in their accomplishments as great or grandiose as they may be A follower of Christ recognizes that if they have wisdom it's really from the Lord a follower of Christ realizes that if they're strong, well, one day they're going to be weak. And, uh, and their strength is nothing compared to the Lord. A, w- a wise follower of the Lord realizes that if they have riches, really it's, it's God's riches that he gave in the, them in the first place. A follower of Christ does not boast in their accomplishments, but they boast that they are a child of God, that they are a servant of the King, that they know God, that they have a relationship with him. There's nothing In, in reality, there's nothing else really worth boasting about in this life. Now, a follower of Christ realizes that, that they boast, and they boast in the Lord only. And so if we were to come back to where we started here, uh, I think this is what it means to follow the Lord, to be a disciple. It's not just, when we, sit, when we talk about following Jesus, we're not just talking about just generally being interested in what he has, had to say as a wonderful teacher. To follow Jesus is all-encompassing. It involves identifying uh, with Christ, becoming one with Christ. Um, it involves inviting the Holy Spirit into your life, allowing him to transform every nook and cranny of your life, allowing him to transform your mind and your your heart and what comes out of your mouth and your behaviors and what you do with your hands and the way you think. It, It transforms everything. A follower of Christ is willing to die to self, to put God first, to love others first. And in doing so, as we follow God with a pure heart and with his help, Jesus says in John he says that God will honor you. And that's where you will f- actually find true life when you give your life for him and for his kingdom. Let me pray and invite the worship team to come back up. <clears throat> Lord, there's a lot of things that we said today, but Lord, we we thank you, Father, first of all for sending your son, your perfect son. He left his throne and out of an incredible act of humility, he not only washed our feet, but he, he died for us. Wow, uh, what an incredible example to follow. Lord, we thank you that, um, that, that you help us to, to, to do what you did and to think like, like you did. And We're not perfect, but we would invite you, Holy Spirit, to transform any area in our life, our mind, our heart, our actions, our behaviors, anything in our life that's not pleasing to you. We pray that you would transform us into your likeness, and we thank you, Lord, for your grace that that, that you are so willing to do that. And um, help us to follow your example, and help us to not just follow your example, but follow you and to be a disciple that you would be pleased with. Lord, may at the end of our life we just, uh, you know, when we stand before you, uh, we will just marvel at your grace and how wonderful you've done in their life. And there's, if there's any, if there's anything in their life that anybody points to that is wonderful, that we would just be a a servant who says, it wasn't me, it was the Lord working through me. Lord, we're so looking forward to meeting you face to face. Whether we die and we're going to meet you in heaven, or whether we're seeing you uh, return, we're so looking forward to seeing you, Lord. Come, Lord Jesus. Amen.